Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are starting a new series this morning called The Runner. Do we have any runners in here? How many of you are runners? Okay, we got one over here. I know Brother Eddie's a runner. A runner here, a runner over here, runner, 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 runner back there. There's a runner. Listen, this is what I found out. Everybody can't be a runner. Some of us need to be on the curb clapping hands and saying you're doing a good job. <laughs> you know, if you ever see me running, you better start running because zombies are somewhere close by. So, someone said it's a not a good thing if you're running and your chest keeps going up and down and you're, you're a male. And that, that's not good at all. We, we want to start this series on a, a subject you're very familiar with. And let me tell you something about preaching. When you preach a, a familiar story that everybody's heard, how many of you know it's a challenge? So how many of you will help me this morning? Okay, half of you will help me. The other half, maybe you'll join in later. Let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace, your love, your compassion. Let your word, Lord, be opened in my uh, lips and in our hearts and our ears. Lord, to bring forth fruit in our lives, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, there's one thing that I know about you today. You're not a fair-weather believer. You are someone who decided whether it was cold or icy or whatever, you're going to get out and serve the Lord, so we're thankful for that. Um, take your Bible, turn to me with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah was a runner. He ran from God. I know you've never done that, but I want to tell you there's people who run from God. Verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So who is this guy, Jonah? Well, he's the son of Amittai. He's a prophet in Israel. He lives in the region of Galilee. He is from a town called gath Kephar, which is about three miles from the town of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. He's first mentioned in, in 2 Kings chapter 14. This is not the only place that Jonah is mentioned. So we know he's a prophet to some of the kings of Israel. His name means dove, D-O-V-E. His name means dove. And the dove is about to fly. He, he's about to go to flight here. Do you know that God is so big that you can't run from him? You'll just keep running into him along the way. And Jonah mistakenly thought he could find a place that he could run from the presence of God. And people are still doing this today. They're running from God. They're running to different things and vices, alcoholism, drugs, sexual perversion. They're running from God, running to what they think is going to make them happy. And how many of you know those things will not make you happy? It's a lie of our culture the live devils 
But Psalm chapter 139, which is Psalm of David, I'm sure that Jonah had access to this. This is something written far before Jonah came along. And David says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So, you know, Jonah should have known from the writing of uh, David, you can can't flee the presence of God. How many of you know he's an omnipresent God? Wherever you go, he already arrived before you got there. So notice what David said, if I make myself in hell, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. So Jonah, you can't run from God. Why is he running? Because he's got a call on his life. He's got a message that he needs to, to give. He, he needs to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, where in the world is that? Nineveh. Well, Nineveh is the ancient city of the Assyrians. It's a huge city, very large for that day and time, with over 100,000 residents. As I studied this week to prepare for this message in this series, I found out there's a lot of debate. People say, well, we've seen the, the site of Nineveh and where the walls were and, and the passing area of Nineveh and everybody couldn't live in that city, 100,000 people. Well, how do you know? Everybody didn't live inside the walls. There were people who lived in, in environments all around that city and they would only go into the walls when there was danger. But there were communities around, there were suburbs around and this large city is still present today in ruins. Did you know not many years ago that ISIS inhabited the ancient city of Nineveh. Matter of fact, they destroyed part of the, the ruins of Nineveh and the monuments there. One of the monuments there in ancient Nineveh was Jonah's tomb. And in 2014, ISIS blew up Jonah's tomb. Isn't that interesting that Jonah is still around in 2014? We're still reading about him in the news. And some people say, well, now that's just a fable. That's just something that is a storybook. Well, Jesus talked about Jonah. And he said, as Jonah was in the belly of the well three days, he said, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. How many of you believe Jesus? I'm going to tell you, I believe in Jesus. And so this is an ancient city. And these are brutal people. The Assyrians were pagans. They were warlike people. They impaled their enemies on stakes and put them on their borders. They beheaded their victims. You see, ISIS is just falling in the pattern of what's been there for years and years and years and years. So now, Jonah's traveling from his home to go to Joppa. Now, in this travel from Joppa down uh, to the seashore there where he's going to get on the ship to go to Tarsus, from where he lives to Joppa is about 70 miles. Probably about a two, three-day walk, somewhere around 70 miles. So when he gets to uh, Joppa, he, he's tired. He's been walking for two or three days. And he's going to um, get on the ship because he's going the opposite direction. God said to go to Nineveh. But he goes the opposite direction. Nineveh is 500 miles to the east of where he lives. He's getting ready to go 2,200 miles to the west to get away from the call of God. Anybody here ever run from God? 
God said, go this way 500 miles. He goes this way 2,200 miles. I'll guarantee you the 2,200-mile journey is worse than the 500-mile journey. We think running from God is going to be better than running to God, but you're either running to him or you're running away from him. So, so here he is. He, he, he goes down to Joppa. He finds a sailing ship going to Tarshish. They have different goods, spices maybe from the Orient, different products, different goods, agriculture, maybe manufacture. He has to pay for his ride. And he gets on the ship. He is the passenger. Sounds like the only one because this is really not a passenger ship. It's a commercial merchant ship. So he pays the fare. He gets on and there he goes. So this morning, I want to give you about seven obvious things from this story. Seven observations that I think you need to know and I need to know. How many of you know everything you, you, you want to know from, from Jonah? Well, I don't. You know, I, I thought, well, I know this story pretty good. But, you know, this week I, I've kind of learned a lot of things. Here's the first one. Jonah received and rejected the word of God. He received and rejected the word of God. Do you know people can still receive and reject the word of God today? Folks, the Word of God is going out all the time. You know, we're preaching it here today from a pulpit. Uh, all across the world, there are thousands of people, millions of pulpits being uh, inhabited. Someone standing there, someone preaching the Word of God, television, radio, internet. The Word of God is going out all over the world. But guess what? A lot of people are rejecting the Word. They're not believing. They're not receiving. They're, they're not going where they need to go. It is possible that you can receive and reject the Word of God. Matter of fact, Jeremiah dealt with this. Uh, chapter 8, verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the Word of the Lord. Matter of fact, Samuel said this to King Saul. He said, because you've rejected the Word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. Because you didn't receive the word of God. So here we have the prophet. The prophet of God receives the word of God, rejects the word, goes a different direction. Here's the second observation. The second one is the greatness and the goodness of God's mercy and grace. How big is God's mercy and grace? Do you realize the Bible says that it's so big that you cannot find the depth, the width, and the height of the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God? When you and I think how big God is, we will never reach that end. How, how good and how great is God? How deep is his mercy? How great is his love? I think we'll spend a lifetime trying to find that out, don't you? I think his grace is greater than what you think. I think his love is deeper than what you know. It's the depth and the grace and the mercy of God. And God is getting ready to send a message to these wicked Assyrians. And here's the question. Can God save somebody like this? Can he have that kind of grace and compassion and love for this wicked city and these wicked people? You see, these people have uh, been at war against God's people. And they've raided, they've murdered, they've raped and pillaged the promised land and the promised people. And here God is saying, I want to send a message of grace to these people. How many of you know God loves everybody? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the greatness of God's mercy and grace is far beyond what we can ever imagine. Because God's fixing to extend grace to this wicked, vile culture. The third observation is, could this be the reason and the why Jonah does not go? He says, I'm not going to go, God. I don't think he wants God to spare these people. 
I think he wants them to die. Matter of fact, Jonah's become kind of a racist, bigoted prophet here. Oh, it's all right if you save these people, God, but don't save these people over here. They're, they're past being saved. These are wicked, horrible people. Don't, don't save them. So he becomes a personal judge. He becomes the jury of who can be saved, who, who, who can't be saved. This salvation and mercy is for these people, but not for these people over here. These Assyrians surely can't be saved. He thinks they deserve to be destroyed. You know, I found something out about myself. I shared this in the early service, so don't think bad about me. But I kind of figured out what kind of movies I like. You know what kind of movies you like? I kind of like movies like The Equalizer and Death Wish and Dirty Harry movies. Jack Reacher. Tombstone. I'm your Huckleberry. Y'all are so holy. John Wayne movies. World War II movies that the Nazis get beaten up and killed. I just enjoy the bad guys getting what they deserve. Do you enjoy that? Yeah. I, I mean, I really do. I enjoy the bad guys getting at the end. But what would happen if I'm watching the movie and right at the end of the movie, God comes in and says, I'm going to save all the bad guys. And I'm thinking, this is not ending like I thought it should end here. But guess what's happening here? Jonah's saying, God should get all the bad guys at the end of this. And God comes in and says, no, I'm not going to get the bad guys. I'm going to save them. What a different ending. Now, eventually, God is going to get all the bad guys, right? If they don't turn to him, if they don't accept Jesus as Savior, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. But... This is what God's going to do. He, he, he's going to play the movie. These are horrible people. They're wicked people. But at the end, God's going to show up and say, I want to save all these people. That's a different twist. And so I think this is the why Jonah doesn't want to go. He's saying, I think these people deserve to have this kind of ending. Now, here's the fourth observation. It's the looming storm. How many of you know Jonah's getting ready to go into a storm? Look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. And they said one to another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of, what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Do you know this tells us the Lord sent the storm? This, this is not just a storm that rose up. The Lord sent the storm. A great wind. Now, this, this mighty tempest. This word tempest is the word for whirlwind, actually the way it's translated. You know, there were no satellite photos of storms back in Jonah's day, was there? 
You, you couldn't click on the weather channel and see the, 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 the satellite view of, of the, the hurricane or the storm. But do you know that every weather system that we have, whether it's a hurricane, a tornado, uh, a low pressure system, high pressure system, everything is a whirl. Low pressure whirls one direction. High pressure whirls another direction. Hurricane, you know, whirls one direction. And, and the Bible uses that term. It, it, it is a whirlwind when they couldn't see what the weather was. They couldn't see the patterns of the weather. But the word of God all the way back there tells us that our weather is in a pattern of whirls going across the globe. Isn't it odd how God already knew that before we had the weather channel? It's interesting, isn't it? And here the storm comes, and it's a supernatural storm. Now you say, how do we know it's supernatural? Now these guys are mariners. They've been in storms before, but they've never been in a storm like this. Matter of fact, the ship is breaking up. The Bible says the ship is, is, is starting to fall apart. And, and they're calling out on their gods. The word is Elohim here, which is a word that they're using in a plurality of gods in this, in this case, which means one may believe in this god, one in this god. Some believed in multiple gods. They could have believed in Baal or Ashtaroth or, or Zeus or, or whoever. And each one is calling out on their God because they knew this is not a storm like we've ever been in and this is something that we need help with. If it's no ordinary storm, if it's a supernatural storm, then we need supernatural help. And that's what they're doing. They're calling out on their God. Now the fifth observation here is the compassion of the mariners. Now you would think that these guys who were rugged sailors and mariners, they would be some of the toughest filthiest talking, unreligious people that would ever be on a ship, mateys. And so now these guys, in the midst of the storm, are afraid. Let me read it, verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and he said to them, and they said to him, they're talking to Jonah, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, and they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know this great tempest is because of me. You know, most people just don't say that today, do they? Just throw me overboard. Give me the heave-ho. Chuck me into the sea. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. For they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they began to take vows. There's something interesting that happens here, and I want you to catch it. It appears at this point the mariners have more compassion and more spirituality than Jonah does. Now let me, let me tell you why. These guys are saying, number one, we need to call out on God. The second thing, they said, okay, we think this is because of Jonah. But they don't chunk him into the sea right at the beginning. You know what they did? They tried to row as hard as they could to get to shore to save their life and his life. So they're trying to save him and them. 
But when they can't get to shore, then they ask God, God, listen, we, we need to save our lives. We'd like to save Jonah, but we've done everything we can. We can't save him, can't save us. So if we throw him overboard, don't lay his innocent blood upon us. And here's something else that's interesting here. If you look through this exchange, they're all calling out on their God, little G. But in verse 14 and 16, there is a change that happens. And please watch this. They're calling out on their little G God, and then all of a sudden, this changes. Now they're calling out on, look in your Bible, the L-O-R-D. They're calling out on the name of the Lord. Now that translation is they're calling out on Yahweh or they're calling out on Jehovah. So they quit calling out on their false gods and now they're calling out on Jehovah God because this is what they know. This is what Jonah said. It is the God that I serve who is the God over the land and the sea. And now they know that this God that Jonah serves has control over the sea. And now they quit calling out on their God. They begin to call out on Jonah's God, Jehovah. And there's a shift that takes place among the mariners. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever heard this? There are no atheists in foxholes. How many of you ever heard that? I've heard that. Do, do you realize some people are saying, you know what? Uh, I'm an atheist. You can be an atheist as long as everything's going good. But most of the time when people see tragedy and pain and, and all of a sudden calamity's happening, the storm is raging. Guess what? They begin to call out on God. You know why? They need someone bigger than them. Sometimes you're a legend in your own mind till the storm hits, and then you're not. And these mariners begin to call out on Jehovah God. They're, they're calling out on the Lord here, not some remote idol. Here's the sixth observation here. It's the sovereignty of God. Now, why would you say that, Pastor? Because God's in control of the message here. He's in control of the narrative. He's in control of the storm. He has the attention of everybody on the ship. He's also prepared and in control of a great fish that's about to swallow Jonah. Now, the only one he's really having trouble with here is his prophet. Isn't that interesting? He's got the attention of the sailors, the mariners. He's got the control of the storm. He holds the ship together. He has the message for Nineveh. But the thing he's really struggling with here is his prophet Jonah. Jonah's a runner. And it could be here today you got somebody running from God. Could be a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a husband, a wife, or it could be you. The sovereignty of God is God is in control. But he gave you the right to be out of control. And he gave me the right to be out of control. And in this wonderful story of Jonah, this wonderful sovereign God that we have that's controlling this, it's almost like Jonah feels like I have no other option but to run 2,200 miles the other direction. How many of you know he did have a choice and he did have an option? And it could be that even out of a bad situation, God showed himself strong because I think something happened to the mariners. 
You say, well, why do you think that, Pastor? They're sacrificing to God, and they're making a vow to God, not their idols, but to Jehovah God. And so there's a revelation for them in the midst of the storm. How many of you know you can be in a bad situation, but God can still have glory out of it? And maybe that's where you're at today. God, I'm in a bad situation. Well, let me tell you, God can still have glory out of your bad situation if you turn to the God who's sovereign over everything. Now, here's another issue here. And here's the last one. God is the God of a second chance. Man, how many of you are glad that God is the God of a second chance? Or a third chance or a fourth chance, right? Because this is what's happened to some of us. We've kind of messed up our life. We, we turned to other things. We went our way. We, we kind of rejected God. We said, God, we're going to do our own thing. And we got out there. The storm hit. The illness hit. The, the disease hit. Death hit. The financial collapse hit. The, the marriage, you know, hit. And then all of a sudden we're saying, God, I'm in a storm. And God says, that's okay. I'm in the God of a second chance. He's only promised to give you one chance. But how many of you know he's the God of mercy and compassion and grace? He's the God of a second chance. Now, look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now there's a lot of debate over this book. And in verse 17, the Bible says the Lord prepared a great fish. Would you say that with me? The Lord prepared a great fish. So when you hear people say, well, you know, a great fish couldn't swallow Jonah. Well, couldn't swallow Jonah. The Hebrew word here is, is actually fish. But this is not an ordinary fish. What kind of fish is this? This is a prepared fish. Now, the only way I know to prepare a fish is put it in a deep fryer. If you've been out of the country, all the other nations don't eat like Americans. I remember... Jack and Dana and Bill and some of them who've been to Haiti several times, they were over there and they cooked fish for them one time. And so the, the, the Haitian lady, she uh, is uh, serving the fish. And so our crew asked and said, what kind of fish is this? And she said, ocean. <laughs> that narrowed it down. It's ocean fish. I was in Chiapas in the south of Mexico right by the Guatemalan border a few years ago and they served me fish and they brought the fish out and it was wrapped up and I unwrapped it and it was a whole fish with a big yellow eye looking at me. <laughs> and you just scrape off the scales and the skin and you just eat the best you can. And th this is a prepared fish. What was the fish prepared for? To swallow a backslidden preacher. It was prepared to swallow a prophet running the wrong way. So when we say, well, it, 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 it's not, it, it can't be, not possible that a, a fish could swallow Jonah. Well, listen, it's not possible for somebody to walk on water. It's not possible to turn water into wine. It's not possible to get a, a stream out of a rock or bread to fall from heaven. But we serve a supernatural God. Amen. So when you take the supernatural out of the Word of God, you just got a good novel and probably not that good if you take the supernatural out. But how many believe the supernatural is still in the Word of God? Someone said, uh, I believe that the fish swallowed Jonah. 
And if it said that Jonah swallowed the fish, I'd believe that too. But the Bible says God prepared the fish. There is an actual account in the late 1800s, not been verified. Some people said it couldn't happen, that a whaling ship off the islands of the Falkland Islands actually had a mariner fall off the ship. And a whale swallowed him. And they actually harpooned the swell, the, the swell and brought it to the ship to process the whale. And guess who they found inside? They found their buddy. And, you know, that sounds like a big fish story to me. But this is the biggest fish story of all, that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Now, I want you to catch just the, the feel of this. Jonah is so despondent, he is so running from God, he just says, throw me overboard. And they do. But here's what Jonah doesn't know. Listen, we know this because we've read the story. We've heard this, some of us, all from since we've been little kids. But Jonah doesn't know that when he falls in the water, there's going to be a fish to swallow him. He doesn't know that. He thinks he's done for. Do you think anybody else out there feels like they've been done for? My last leg, last mile, last chance, last opportunity. I'm never going to rise from this. Never going to survive the marriage. Never going to survive the finances. Never going to survive the disease. Never going to survive this. And all of a sudden, God says, well, listen, I've got things in place you don't know about. Isn't that good news? I've got things on the horizon you don't even know about. So Jonah, when you go over here, I prepared a great fish to swallow you and you're going to be in the belly of the fish three days and three nights and you would think, you would think that Jonah going overboard or being gulped by the fish would begin to pray. How many of you would pray when you're going over the ship? I'm praying. Do you realize Jonah doesn't pray until about three days later? I mean, he, he's there for a while. This guy is so stubborn that he doesn't pray. But guess what? Sometimes we don't pray. And God still loves us. And he gives us time. He says, Jonah, let me give you some time to think about this. Day one, seaweed wrapped around your head. You're in the belly of a fish prepared to eat you. Digestive juices are now bleaching out your skin. You're being digested by a big prepared fish. And while you're there, Jonah, just think about a few things in the belly of the fish. And I assure you that he did. How many of you would be thinking about some stuff? Listen, I believe this. If you don't believe this could happen, ask Pinocchio. He, he can tell you, this, this is possible. <laughs> But while he's there, the fish makes an abrupt turn to go a different direction. And when the fish gets to the shore, going back toward Assyria and Nineveh, the fish does something very amazing. The fish gets so sick of a backslidden person that the fish vomits Jonah on dry ground. This is not your ordinary vomit. This is projectile vomiting. Doesn't this sound really good before lunch? Read it. The fish takes him close to the shore and projects him up 
to the seashore. How would you like to have been at the resort that day? You're walking down the beach, the sand squishing between your toes, watching the waves wash up with a strawberry daiquiri, non-alcoholic, umbrella on top, and all of a sudden, here comes Jonah. The fish has projectile vomited the prophet on the shore. He has seaweed around his head. He, he looks horrible because he's been digested three days. His skin is bleached out. And if he said repent, you'd repent right then. I'd repent right there, wouldn't you? What happens is God in his mercy and his grace is not just extending this to the Assyrians and Nineveh. He's extending it to one person. He's reaching out to one person and saying, you think you're bad, you think you're lost, you, you think you're going to run from me, I'm going to tell you something. You're my kid. I'm not going to let you run away from me. I'm getting kind of choked up right now thinking about that. And maybe you're here today and say, you know what? I've been running from God. Let me tell you something. You can't run from God. You'll run into him. If you think you're away and nobody knows who you are, God knows who you are. Years ago, I was flying to Washington, D.C. And I went to a hotel in Dallas. I was going to stay there that night, park my car in the hotel parking lot, get on a plane at DFW, fly to Washington, D.C. for about a week. I went in to check in. I'm walking into the lobby, nice place, big marble check-in area there, some people behind. I get within about 12 feet of the counter and this young man in his 20s says, Pastor Mike McCord from Ray of Hope Church. I said, guilty. I said, how do you know me? I didn't recognize him. I said, how do you know me? He said, you baptized me when I was about nine years old. Well, now he's up in his 20s. Well, you know, you changed from about nine to your 20s. I didn't recognize him. He said, yeah, you baptized me when I was about nine years old. I said, amazing. Listen. God knows where you go. He knows every step that you take. He, he, he knows where you try to hide. He, he knows where you run away from. You, you can't hide from him. You'll keep bumping into him wherever you go. So you know what? It's better just to say, Lord, here I am, than to be spit out of a fish's mouth. So why in the world would we try to go 2,200 miles this direction when the easiest way is just to obey God, go 500 miles this way, because chances are he's going to get you there anyway. How many of you know God can either open the door for you or pull you through the keyhole? He can say, just go that direction, or if you want to go this way, Jonah, try it. You won't like it, but you can try it. But God does let us have our way. Even when he was spit out on the seashore, he could have st still said, God, I'm not going to go. And what a horrific, what a horrific story this would be if he didn't. Matter of fact, Jonah would not have fulfilled his destiny. And I believe God would have sent somebody else to Nineveh. I don't know about you, but I believe God would have sent somebody there. Now, we're not going to get into the rest of the story, but, but I brought you here today to say sometimes that we're in the belly of the fish. Sometimes we're in a, a tight place. Sometimes we're in pain. And sometimes we can think about where we are and what we're doing and, and how we're functioning here. But the, the, the story here is 
God loves you so much, he will chase after you. He will find you. Even when you're in the middle of the storm, he knows exactly where you are, and he's putting everything together to get you where you need to go. He'll do that for you, and he'll do that for me. And you may say, well, I'm not worthy. I have failed so many times. I, I can't ever be good enough. Listen, you were never good enough when you started. And I was not good enough when I started. This is about the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God. This is what this is about. It's about God able to save really bad people. Well, you don't know. I'm so bad. God can't save me. Honey, you're a rookie. Sometimes people come to my office for counseling. They say, Pastor, I've messed up so bad. I've done this, this, and this. And I think in my mind, really? You're a rookie. I've done things ten times worse than that. But it doesn't make any difference how good we are, how bad we are. It's how good God is. That's the key. That's the mercy. That's the love. Jonah, run from me? I don't think so. Whenever I say that line, I think about being in Mexico. Carrie and I were there in Mazatlan years ago, and we were there in a store, and I'm trying to bargain over some silver earrings <laughs> that Carrie wanted. And the gentleman in the store speaks hardly any English. I speak no Española. And so we're having a hard time communicating. And he said, what do you do? And I said, I pastor a church. He did not apprehend that statement. And he said, I don't understand. I said, well, I'm a preacher. He did not understand. I said, well, I... Uh, and I went through about two or three other things he did not understand. So Carrie and I are there, and I'm trying to tell him I'm a preacher, a pastor. And, and I said, like Padre. And he looked at Carrie. And he said, you Padre got a wife? Me no think so. <laughs> Jonah, you think you're going to get by with this? Me no think so. You know why? God pursues us because he loves us. And today, if you're a runner, guess what? You cannot run God. If you have someone in your family running, you think, will God ever apprehend them? Will they ever come to Christ? Will they ever get saved? How many of you know God may have a big fish prepared just for them? And it will turn their life around. And they will see the love and the grace and the mercy of God. Would you bow your head with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.